Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm very excited about this episode. I hope everyone out there enjoys the episode. I hope they're doing well. Tim, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. You know, by the time some people are listening to this, we'll probably be at CrimeCon. So that's really exciting. But if you're hearing this on Wednesday and you're in the area and still thinking about going, why don't you use code CRAWLSPACE and get your butt to CrimeCon Las Vegas. We're doing a live Crawl Space show, Lance, on Saturday, April 30th, 2022 at 1.20 p.m. to 2.15 p.m. live from the Podcast Row studio. We are speaking with Jason Watts and Ladessa, Brandon Lawson's ex, and it's going to be a really uh, incredible conversation. It's been an incredible journey for both of those individuals, and you'd really be remiss if you skipped this one. And if that wasn't enough to entice you, we just received confirmation that the one and only Lord John Lorden from Brain Scratch, from Lorden Arts, from Crime After Crime, he will be joining us on this panel as well. So you have John Lorden, you have Jason Watts, Ladessa, you and I. This one is sure to go down in the books as the greatest panel ever at CrimeCon. Brandon Lawson's remains, by all accounts, have been found, and they would not have been found had it not been for Jason Watts harnessing the community, organizing searches, and also with Ladessa's support and Brandon's family support. They really pulled together and so far have brought some very significant developments to Brandon's disappearance, and we're so excited to have them speak about this publicly for the first time, really, at CrimeCon. Yeah, it's really special that we get to have this conversation, and there hasn't been official confirmation yet. It's about as close as you, as you can get on this case and what was found. And we will have our usual table there on Podcast Row. Please swing by and say hello. We want to hang out with people. We want to talk about true crime. We want to talk about pop culture. We'll talk about anything. We really will, Lance. Uh, CrimeCon 2022 is going to be amazing. And Lance, onto this episode that we're uh, bringing our fine audience here today. We speak with a really amazing woman. She's a sexual abuse survivor coach and advocate as well as an author. She is actually a local author who's written about her life and about teaching children safety. And not only is the conversation super important, she's a fantastic woman, just a, a revelation. How this came to be was pretty cool. Tim, tell people how this came to be. It was just going to be you on the interview, and then it sort of developed into something a little bit bigger. I just think it's such a cool story. Yeah, well, my wife ordered this book. It's dedicated to the memories of Molly Bish and Danny Croto, which are two real-life tragedies that happened in the Massachusetts area. And so I reached out to the author because I thought it would be a great conversation to have and speak about this book, this kid's book called I Love You So Much That. And you can get it at kathypicard.com. But it's great because it really teaches children children's safety, and it does it by appearing like any other kid's book. But it turned out that Chloe Cantor and Lou Barry both know her. And she must have emailed Lou, who then emailed me, and he was like, oh, you got, you're going to have a great time with Kathy. Like, okay, great. I hadn't even heard back from her yet. And uh, Chloe was uh, included. Chloe is a parent as well. And, you know, I just think this um, conversation and, and the book that she wrote is sort of really interesting for parents to uh, broach the conversation of safety with their children. 
I guess personally speaking, I wasn't sure if I should or what I would be contributing if I should be on this because I don't have kids. And it turned out to be one of the best conversations speaking about like educating people, protecting children, protecting individuals, looking at your history and looking into how you can make something better out of tragedy. She just opened my eyes to a ton of stuff that include how to protect yourself, how to protect your kids and how to educate people. Absolutely. It's it's really incredible. And you can follow her on Twitter at Kathy Picard one and there's links in the show notes. She also wrote another book that we discuss. It's called Life with My Idiot Family, True Story of Survival, Courage, and Justice Over Childhood Sexual Abuse. We just want to give a, a little trigger warning, I suppose, um, because you know, some of the things we talk about can be a little uncomfortable. And Kathy talks so matter of factly. It almost took me a second to um sort of process what she's saying as she said it. Oh, for sure. She's so well versed in her mission that the only way she can communicate it so people will listen is like that because it it helps you to process it, meaning she doesn't really prep you for it. When she starts talking about it, she doesn't say things like, now get ready for this. She just says it and you process it. And I feel like that's a really effective way to communicate. So check it out at kathypicard.com. And check out True Crime Twins as well. Chloe hosts a podcast and she joins us in this conversation. There's links in the show notes to subscribe to True Crime Twins as well. And right now we're going to break for a quick commercial and we will be back shortly with Kathy Picard. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We are being joined now by author and advocate, Kathy Picard. How are you today, Kathy? I'm doing great meeting some new faces and sharing my story and getting it more of an audience out there is awesome. Welcome to the program. We've got Chloe joining us here today from True Crime Twins and Lance, of course. And Kathy, after we sent you a message about your book and how great it was, uh, you wrote back that you we have mutual friends and I had no idea. Yeah, so... Former police chief of Granby, Lou Berry, who actually is a good friend of mine as well, but he actually was my private investigator for my four-day jury trial. And I actually do some speakings for his students at colleges, the police academy. Really, wherever Lou asks to speak, I volunteer to go. Yeah, he's, he's wonderful. He's a great guy. And personally, I, I just want to say it's great to have you on because these are the conversations that I really like having with our guests, people who have been through these traumatic experiences, these unfortunate traumatic experiences, but they've taken that and they've turned it into something better. And they've tried to create a purpose not only in their lives, but in the lives of people who have suffered similar traumatic experiences. And on your website, and I actually put it on the my background here because it stands right out. When you go to your website, kathypicard.com, you have a, a saying right there. It's like a tagline. It says, change your story, change your world. I want to know how you came to that. I think that's a beautiful thing to have right on the right on the front page. And there's so much meaning just in those two sentences. There really is, Lance. And I tell people that my life is of two stories. One is the story that I was born into, and you can't change that, right? But it's also the story that I made for myself. 
and that I can change and I can continue to change that and help other people by making changes in my life. So it's very important to change your story, to inspire others, to live a happy, healthy lifestyle. Because if you just sit in that same rut or that same abuse that you had as a child, you're not going to go anywhere. And it's just very unhealthy to stay in that particular space. And Chloe, welcome to the show. And it turns out that Kathy and Chloe know each other as well. That's correct. Uh, Lou connected us. We became friends very quickly. We're neighbors. And Kathy is honestly one of my heroes. The work that she's done to make this world a safer place for children is unbelievable. She's changed the world. She's changed laws. She's changed lives. And this is a subject that is so taboo, but it shouldn't be because we're a part of the problem if we're not talking about it and if we're not trying to help children. As someone who, you know, myself, I've experienced trauma and now I'm a mother, to see someone just channel all of that and try to make this world a safer place for our children, I just, I'm, I'm so happy to know you, Kathy. And it is, Chloe, you're, you're right. It's important that we do talk about it. And there are avenues and paths that I go down and people still don't want to talk about it. Particularly, you hate to admit it, but there are schools that do not want me to read my children's book to the kids because of the word private. And I still can't fathom that. I can't still believe that schools do not want me to say your private parts are private. I mean, why not? Why are we protecting these perpetrators? Why are we not talking about it? And you need to talk about it as soon as the kids are able to talk because these perpetrators will abuse. The youngest I heard is a two-month-old baby. So it does happen. People need to know that it happens and you need to educate. And there are so many resources out there, but it's so important to talk. Well said. And I can't wait to get into uh, talking about your book. That private comment just blows my mind. So I want to get back to that as well. But Chloe said that the two of you are neighbors. Uh, Chloe, I just had a quick question for you. When did you find out about Kathy? I, I need a little backstory. Well, Lou wanted to connect us because I think he just just from knowing both of us, I think he knew that we'd be friends. But he also knew that we had similar passions. He knows that, you know, being an advocate is something that I, you know, hold close to my heart. and that possibly just with me having a show and this the skills and experience that I have that maybe I could contribute to Kathy's mission somehow. So he kind of networked us together. And when I moved to this area, it was kind of just perfect. So she came over and we just, you know, hung out for a while. My daughter just was drawn to her because she's like, she just has that energy that children are just drawn to because, you know, she's like, she's trying to help them. And I think they just feel that. And she loves the book. Yes, she does. <laughs> she, she, loves the, she loves the kids' book, so which is awesome. <laughs> yep, that's that's the book we have in the car. You know, when 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 I'm driving and she needs something to flip through, and often I actually have two copies. So I have one in the car, one in the house, and it's often the first thing that she grabs. The illustrations are beautiful. It's so gentle. It's so loving. And I want to teach her body safety. And she's two. So she's a little young. I, I sort of try to, you know, drill the concepts into her and she doesn't really seem to get it yet. You can't start too early and eventually it's going to stick. And the book is called I Love You So Much That. What is the age that you wrote the book for? So the book is for two to 
10-year-olds, depending on where the child is in their in their growing up stages. But I've heard of kids, you know, even younger and even older that have been read this book. But it's a it's a book that Tim that teaches the answers to the no's, what the kids would say no to, or the why for the lessons of brushing their teeth, pay attention to their teachers wear a coat outside, not to talk to strangers. And of course, that private one, Lance, that your private parts are private. So it answers the questions to them. And I engage when I do go to the schools that do allow me to go in, I do engage in the kids by telling them every time you see my dog, Abby, who is a mini schnauzer that's featured in the book, every time you see Abby, raise your hand. And the kids love that. Abby is included in the book. And she actually paw signs the book. So I ordered a special paw stamp. So Abby paw signs the books that I hand out and the kids also get a sticker too. So, but it's a great resource for teachers as well as parents. And I'm very proud to say that this particular book is listed as a resource on Child Help's website, as well as Mass Kids of Boston. So those are two very well-known websites that actually feature my book. Can we talk about this private word again? What explanation were you given by the schools that wouldn't allow you to read the book there because of the word private? One of the schools in particular, we don't want you to say private. We don't want to have the kids know that they have private parts. Um, Yeah, you do need to. And in the book, it's not a scary, it's actually a very good lesson about the private page where your private parts are private. And is there anybody that you should show your private parts to? And on the picture, which as you mentioned, it's very well illustrated, it shows Dr. Abear. So when the child goes to the doctors, Dr. Abear is one of the people that can see your private parts as well as your parents. But you need to open up this conversation with the kids to let them know that their private parts are private Anything beneath the bathing suit is private. Just in your opinion, and maybe Chloe, you can chime in on this as well. Where do you think that comes from? Why is it that people like you discouraged from identifying and educating young people about something so simple as their body parts? Why does that have to be an embarrassment and something that is, I think Chloe used the word taboo? My opinion is that it makes them feel uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about it because it's a really difficult subject to talk about. You don't want to talk about children being victimized, but sticking our heads in the sand does not make this problem stop. It is a hugely pervasive issue in our society. People are talking about it more and more, thank goodness. But for the longest time, it was just swallowed and hidden. And the more that we talk about it, the more that we're teaching children to set boundaries, protect themselves. And when I ran into Kathy in the post office a few weeks ago and she told me that superintendents were not letting her book into the schools, I was horrified. Like, how can I send my child into a school where they're not interested in protecting them? Because if we're not teaching them these terms and not teaching them who is allowed to see, who is allowed to touch you, then predators can teach them that. That's the whole grooming process. We need to be the ones that teach them what's right and what's wrong, because if they're going into this world totally ignorant, that's how someone can take advantage of you. One principle I have to say 
that the counselors in this particular school said, we don't want Kathy to say that. Well, he came up with a solution, which I give him so much credit for. He said, what we'll do is, Kathy, the permission slips that go home for you to read the book in the schools. If a parent has a problem, the book will go to the library and the librarian will read that book and not read that page, which really is not good. But at least I was able to go in. And do you know, not one parent, not one said that I don't want my child to hear that story. It's the fear. They're, they fear that some there's going to be a problem when really, in fact, there was not even a problem. As parents, and this is directed to all three of you, is that a bit of a relief knowing that a book exists out there that someone is going to read to your child so that even on the surface level, that's a conversation you don't have to have? I mean, it, it opens the door naturally. It's, it's great, I would say. And the best part of the whole situation is that I was getting funding from organizations where is after I read the book, the kids were able to get a free book and go home with this book so that the adults in that child's life can reread this book to them. And it's not a book that you just read once. It's not a conversation that parents have with their kids. You need to keep on talking about that. One of the questions that I asked the kids is I said, if a stranger ask you to go with them to help them find their lost puppy, would you go? They're going to give you tons of money, tons of candy. Would you go raise your hand? And unfortunately, there are some kids that raise their hand, they would go. And I remember asking one little boy, I said, why would you go? And he goes, because I'm going to be rich and I'm going to get a lot of candy. And I said, well, you can't go because it's a stranger and it's not safe and you may not come home. And then I asked the question again. And of course, he said, again, I would go with them. But at that point, it was kind of like a joke. But unfortunately and weird was his dad is a cop. It, it's scary when these kids will go with these strangers. So you really need to keep on talking about not to go with strangers to these kids, as well as the private parts. I know that there's a balance there between safety and sort of stoking unnecessary fear, potentially. Like you want your kid to be friendly too. You know, if, if someone at a store says hi to my kid, I would want the kid to say hi back, you know, just to be polite. You know, I don't know who that person is, but I guess there's a balance there. Well, if there's a balance or they don't know what they should do, just like good secrets, bad secrets, um, a lot of the families will say, well, we don't do secrets at all because the kids are confused. Is it a good secret? Is it a bad secret? Good secret will have an ending to it, such as a birthday party, where we're saying, well, we're going to keep it a secret that we're going to have a surprise party, but then it does happen. So there is an ending to good secrets. But that child needs to know that they can always ask an adult if they don't understand, if they don't know the answer, it's very important that they know that they can come to the mom, the dad, the grandma, the grandpa, that they can go and get the answers that they need. In the dedication to the book, it is dedicated to the memory of Molly Bish and uh, Danny Croto. And those are um, some local cases to the Massachusetts area. Can you tell us why you uh, dedicated the book to their memories? Maggie and John Bish are good friends of mine. And Maggie Bish is a retired second grade school teacher, and she loves the book. She goes, if I was still teaching, I'd be reading this book. But Maggie and I go way back when we were helping to change laws, and we met at the Boston State House, and following her story and knowing what had happened, and just hoping that their family will get some closure. You know, we're still hoping for 
for that. Danny Croto, who was murdered by Father Levine, there was closure. Hope, you know, of course, we wished it was sooner when the Croto family could have known that Father Levine was the murderer. So again, my illustrator of the book, Deb Nicholson, knows that Croto family even better than I do. But meeting with Carl Croto, again, sharing the book, and he said, we do need to talk about cases like this, Kathy. It's very important to talk about it. People will approach Carl and say, I don't know if you want me to talk about your brother, Danny, that passed. He goes, no, I do want to talk about it. So these conversations, people are like intimidated or they they fear that people don't want to talk about it. And when in fact, people do want to talk about these conversations. On your website, you also have the statistics, which list the um, average age of abuse, the average disclosure age, and then you have the result of the average years before the disclosure happens. Where did you get that information? And can you share those statistics with us? Sadly, but the statistics are one in every four girls before their 18th birthday will be sexually abused and one in every six boys, because it does happen in males. And people need to know that, that, you know, it does happen in both. 93% of the people that are abused is known to the victim. It is somebody in the family which people think it's stranger danger. It's not stranger danger. They are known to that person. So, and the average age that a person speaks out about being sexually abused is not until they're 34 years old. And that makes a lot of sense because they're in that safe environment. They feel comfortable. They have people around them. They are away from the abuser. So it does not surprise me that they wait until they're 34 years old to talk about it. And the average age that they are abused is nine years old. And as I mentioned, a two-month-old baby. So it does happen as, as a very young age. So that's why it's important to educate. Statistics came from RAIN and Child Help, from those particular websites that actually list a lot more statistics that I'm talking about. I like to ask any authors that we have on our airwaves uh, why you chose to write this book. But in your case, it's I feel like it's really obvious, <laughs> like safety, um, child safety. This is not your first book. You have another book, I believe, Life with My Idiot Family. Yeah. So people will hear the first part of the book, Life with My Idiot Family, and they think it's a jokester book. Me and my husband uh, wrote this particular book, and it's my life story. But we named it Life with My Idiot Family because my mother called us idiots growing up. It was either idiots or ASS holes. So it's a wonder I even know my first name. But Life with My Idiot Family, it's a true story of survival, courage, and justice over childhood sexual abuse. This book took us five years to write, and it was hard. I have to admit, it was revisiting the years that I was abused. And I was sexually abused from the age of seven until I was 17 years old, 10 years. And like I tell my audiences, one time being abused is too much. I went through the abuse myself for 10 years and this abuse would happen three to four times a week by my stepfather who I thought was my biological father. Not finding this out until I was 17 years old is when I found out that he was not my biological father. My mother had said the comment to me that I didn't have to have you as a child. And I said, well, what do you mean? And that's when she blurted out, he's not your real father. And, you know, <laughs> realizing not my real father and being sexually abused by him, it just was not, it did not sit well with me. 
but it's it's a good story. It talks about my whole childhood. It goes into resources that I think parents and therapists and counselors can relate to. And then it goes through my advocacy years of helping to change the laws in Massachusetts so that I could get the accountability, the justice, the closure that I needed in my life. I remember I wanted to get justice when I started reading about, in 2002, they started talking about the priest abuse. And there was a number you could call 1-800-DIAL-A-LAWYER. And I called that number up, told them what had happened. I said, what can I do about this? And the lawyer said, sorry, there's nothing you can do. The time has run out. And I said, no, that's not a good answer. Something's got to change. And that's when I fought going to the Boston State House, calling, emailing. I bugged so many people. I had one aide tell me to stop bothering him. And I said, listen, I'm a taxpayer do your job. You need to do something about these particular laws. And there's over 6,000 bills at the Boston State House. So if you're not the squeaky wheel, they're not going to listen to you. So I had to bother them. But when the laws changed, uh, criminal changed on September 21st, 2006, and that's when the criminal statute of limitations was extended from a survivor being 31 years old to 43 years old. I was too old. I could not do anything with the criminal statute of limitations. Therefore, I could not get my stepfather on registering as a sex offender. I could not get him to do jail time. So the next thing that I had in my favor was helping to change the civil, which is monetary, changing the civil statute of limitations, which that changed on June 26, 2014. And that was a huge jump that was going from a survivor being 21 years old, giving them the opportunity until they're 53 years old to go for that fight. And I was 53 years old. So my case was the first heard in Massachusetts in a four day jury trial in federal court. As soon as that bill changed, I was texting my attorney at the Boston State House and I said, I'm ready for the fight to begin. And that's kind of like how my advocacy went forward with a bang. (laughs) We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. I personally think that a statute of limitations on this is ridiculous, that someone can perpetrate a crime like that. And then after a certain period of time can be like, yeah, I guess it didn't happen. But when you look at the statute of limitations and the time frame, and then you look at your statistics and how long it takes someone to come forward, average age of 12, 36 years later, I mean, you're you're done. And I agree, Lance, there should be no statute of limitations. The Boston State House is currently still working on extending or eliminating these particular laws. So they still are working on them. And I hope that it is because you know what, there is no statute of limitations for the crime of murder. 
But when somebody abuses, you are actually murdering a child's innocence. So it is a form of murder. That's why there should be no time frame. And these perpetrators know, they know that there's a limitation and they know that they're going to be able to get away scot-free. So you need to make this where there's no time frame at all. I agree. What an antiquated way of thinking. I'm not advocating murder. Don't get me wrong. But murder is one thing. Why does that only have to be the thing? Child abuse, sexual abuse to a child is by far worse than murder in my head. You are destroying so many lives. Right. Because a person being traumatized, you live that. I'll be 60 years old this August, I still can't believe that, but I'll be 60 years old, the thoughts, the feelings, it never will go away. I can tell you so clearly, the time when my stepfather found his way into the bathroom with the screwdriver and unlocked that door and got into the tub with me. It's like, it's so crystal clear of some of the things that he did to me. They'll never go away, but he's not going to win. You know, that's why I do what I do. I do my passion of talking about it because I can, unlike when I was a child, then I couldn't, but it helps other people to know that they're not alone. We share the same story. I just want to add, going off of what Lance just said, it kind of does send a message that child sexual abuse is less egregious than murder, that murder is the ultimate crime of egregiousness and that everything else is below. But That is not the message that our lawmakers should be sending to the general public. It's just not safe. And statute of limitation laws are designed to, you know, protect the the wellness of evidence to make sure that the defendant is getting a fair, a fair trial. But what about the victim, especially in a crime like childhood sexual abuse? People are threatened to not tell anyone. People internalize the shame. People don't process it. Like Kathy said, even though the average age of victimization is nine, people don't come forward until they're well into their 30s. With this being a trend, the statute of limitations has no place here. It's only protecting the defendant, not the victim. And I was, I was very afraid of my stepfather who sexually abused me. He was an auxiliary police officer. So I would get the threats of the gun in the home. If you tell, I'm going to shoot you. Why would I go to the police station when I would think as a little girl that if I told my story, they're not going to believe me. They're going to believe him because he's one of them. That's why for me to go and speak at the police academy or people think I'm crazy, but I do go in and I talk to level two and level three sex offenders, both female and male. And people are like, how can you talk to them? I talk to them because they need to know that what they did is wrong. And we don't forget. I don't go in detail because I don't want them to get their jollies, but they need to know we don't forget. And I remember having one level two sex offender say to me, I abused my niece. Will she ever forgive me? And I said, first of all, what you did is wrong. And it's up to her to forgive you. It's not up to you. You did something that was wrong. If and when she's ready, she will let you know. And how genuine do you think that statement was, that question was? Of what he said? I I don't know. He could have been pushing towards uh, good behavior and get out early or out of jail. (laughs) I, I don't know. I mean, it seemed good. But I don't, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Um, I remember going and talking to the women at Chicopee Correctional 
we sat around in a little group and they're like, Kathy, where does he live? We're going to put notes all around the whole neighborhood of who he is and what he did. And I said, you can't do that. But, but a lot of them have been abused as a child and it's not right for them to re-abuse, but you do hear statistics where people that are, have been abused, they do abuse. And that's a really sticky situation too. It's not a justification for the abuse, but it is a reason, I guess you could say. But that even goes to something a little bit deeper if you peel it back a little bit more, which is what you're doing, back to the education part. If people are properly educated and they identify symptoms of abuse or they just feel comfortable enough to address private parts with their children, it all goes back to like your knowledge of history and where things went wrong. And if there was previous abuse, how do you prevent that in the future? And I think the earlier you educate these kids, one of the most important things is letting them know the correct body parts by using the word vagina and penis. And it wouldn't be so hee hee ha ha if you started at a young age. And the reason why you need to use this particular terminology is so that a disclosure is not missed. For instance, if you say to a little girl, well, that's your cookie, your vagina, that little girl goes into a classroom and tells the teacher, well, he touched my cookie. Then what's a teacher going to do? Here's another cookie, honey. Now go sit down. Whereas if that little girl said he touched my vagina, the disclosure is not going to be missed. So it's important to use the correct terminology. And a lot of parents still say, well, we're not going to say those words to our child, but they're going to learn it. They're going to learn it through their friends. You know, so why not earlier? The earlier, the better. I know they're they're learning like the S word and the F word and things like that anyway. Like, yeah, one of my kids uh, peers using the S word and it's like, oh, OK, I, I guess she knows that word now, too, because. He used it in front of her. <laughs> they're talking about the sex changes and they're talking about that in schools. But what about the safety? You know, why not? I mean, some of the things they're teaching these kids and, you know, some of the schools have told me, well, we're teaching the kids enough. You can never over teach when it comes to safety. I think before we started the interview, you mentioned that April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. What does that mean for you? So for me, it's a very important month. But I always think that it should not just be April that you should talk about Sexual Abuse Awareness Month. You know, the month of October is Domestic Violence Month. Those two months really um, are busy, a busy time for me, but it needs to be every single month, every single day. I mean, I think about it every day. I'm always marketing, talking about it, reaching out to people. It's great that the month does resemble a, a very important month for me. You mentioned that you had this watershed type moment when you were 17, when you learned about your father slash stepfather. What was the spectrum of emotions in the immediate aftermath of that? Yeah. So I think the hardest part, Lance, about that was, and I share it in my book, when I was younger and the abuse was taking place, one of the things that I feared was that I would get pregnant. And I remember asking my father, what if I got pregnant? And he said, you can't get pregnant by your real dad. And so finding out when I was 17 that he was not my real father, that was one of the first things that I thought about because I did get pregnant. And whether it was by him or whether it was by my boyfriend, I still don't know 
now because going through the trial, the medical records were not there for me to see when he had his vasectomy. And so I was very angry. And especially because after I was told that he was not my real father, he still persisted to one more time, Kathy, just one more time. And that's when the abuse finally stopped because I said to him, if you keep asking me, I'm going to tell. So I I just got so angry and realized that it's got to stop. And after that, I would just keep very busy, always out of the home. I worked three jobs to stay away from him because as a 17-year-old, where are you going to go? You can't leave the home. You know, I couldn't get an apartment and leave. So it was very important for me to stay busy and to push the abuse way down so that I would not keep on thinking about it. And I didn't. I remember graduating from cathedral and I had classmates still at my 40th reunion say, Kathy, I wish you would have told me so we could have helped you. But I wasn't ready to talk about it then. And nobody would have ever guessed. I was very happy, always smiling. But deep down inside, it was very dark and I was very sad and couldn't concentrate in school. It's hard. You just, like they say, don't judge a book by its cover. And I was going through so much more than what people could even fathom. Based on your own experiences and what you know now in your advocacy, what is the right way for a parent to react, to respond if a disclosure is made? And, you know, not just parents, I'll extend that to any adult. What is the right way to go about it and what is the wrong way to go about it? So the first thing is everybody wants to react. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to go to the police store. I'm going to do this. So the anger is there. But especially when it comes to the young kids, you need to stay calm. It's going to be difficult, but you need to stay calm. And your voice and your eye contact is very important for these children because the perpetrator is telling them, don't tell. Nobody's going to believe you. You know, like my stepfather, if you tell nobody's going to believe you, your sisters are going to go to a foster home, your dogs are going to be taken away, you know, and if we get divorced, it's going to be your fault. So I had that on my shoulders. These kids are being really scared to tell. So that's why when they tell you, and if you overreact, they're going to, they're going to say, no, he really didn't do that. Or she really didn't do that. They're going to take back that statement. So as hard as it's going to be, you need to really stay calm. The element of, of anger, and I'm sure that would be a lot of people's immediate response, but of course you have to think about how a child internalizes that, especially when threats of violence or murder are made because an innocent child, even if someone's harmed them, they don't want to be responsible for someone getting hurt. And it, it makes me think of uh, Maya Angelou, who when she disclosed that someone had sexually assaulted her, the perpetrator was either beaten or killed. And she was so traumatized by that experience, blaming herself that someone was attacked, that she couldn't talk. It's so important how we react and, and what we do, those next steps. And I did not disclose until I was, my first disclosure was when I was nine years old. And I told my grandmother, my Grammy. And when I told her, she said, Kathy, we don't talk about those things. She just kind of, you know, said what he said to me is don't talk about it. And then I waited from nine until I was 28 years old. And when I told my aunt Judy, who was the mom to me that I did not have, because my mother knew about the abuse and did nothing about it. She knew what was going on. 
So when I told my aunt Judy at 28 years old, she was in fear of my stepfather because he was a bully. He was an alcoholic. And she said, Kathy, don't tell nobody. Just come to me and talk to me when you want to talk. And that's what I did. And I made that promise to her that I would not tell. But when my Aunt Judy passed in 2000, I told everybody after that. My first stop was going to the police station to file a report because at that time I was still petrified that he was going to come after me with the gun. So I went and made a report in case something took place. But I just want to say that when a person says to you they have something to say, it's very important that that person chose you, a survivor chose you to disclose to. And if you say, I'll talk to you in a minute, it's very important to take the time then. I don't care if you have to go to the bathroom, hold it, but take that time because that person is choosing you. And if you come back and say, what did you have to talk about? They're going to say, I forgot or it doesn't matter. So to take that time when somebody wants to talk to you is extremely important. To be the person that finally the one who's abused can open up to, it's such a really fortunate position to be in and know that that person trusts you. Well, Kathy, this has been such a a helpful and useful conversation. What is next for you? Are you writing more? Are you speaking more? Well, my husband is actually taking my personal storybook, Life with My Idiot Family, and he's writing the screenplay. So we're hoping to get that on the big screen. We're hoping to get that in the hands of somebody that can put it on the big screen so it can help even more. I would also like to take my children's book and put that in different languages, starting with Spanish, so that I can, again, get that into the schools. I know that the children's book did go to Poland with some diapers for the kids. I donated 20 of the books so that the parents can read that book to the kids. So again, putting it in different languages, there's not that many words in there, but the pictures do say a lot. It's just never going to end. I mean, it just doesn't go away. It's, as you can tell, it's a passion. It's not a job by any means what I do. And I love what I do. I mean, I retired from a sit down job probably like seven years ago to do what I chose to do. I just have one more uh, question. I wasn't even sure if I was going to ask it, but I'm curious about this. We had a guest on once and he was talking about one of his new projects was exploring the world of this particular pedophile. He used the term, I think it was minor attracted. And he said that they're trying to move from pedophile and they're moving from that to minor attracted. And I couldn't handle it. Tim and I physically, you could see our faces be like, huh? We understand like there are certain terms that are just dated and offensive and no one realized they were offensive. And my question is, is this doing more harm? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, without, without a doubt. Um, no, I, I, I'm with you. I'm making those faces because it's, it's just not right. No. I thought about it because Chloe had mentioned the Maya Angelou story and how someone you know, attacked her attacker, right? And, and killed the person. And she was traumatized by that. That's why I was thinking, well, maybe it would do a little good to not have that label so that those types of occurrences don't happen. But I suppose that that's pretty rare anyway, and you're probably doing more harm. It's like almost gentler. I don't know. I feel like when vernacular is being changed, it should be for a reason so that it's not, you know, stigmatizing people as badly. And I I just think it would confuse the situation. And that's just my opinion. 
Yeah, I think so. You're kind of minimizing the damage and almost uh, accepting it as a, like a cultural a norm, I suppose, that happens, which is yeah, not acceptable over here. Um, Kathy, where is the best place to get your books? Both books are on Amazon. Life with My Idiot Family is in Audible that I spoke. My private investigator, Lou Berry, spoke. Uh, my husband has his voice on there as well as my editor. So it's not just my voice speaking it. They can get the children's book on Amazon as well. It's also in Barnes and Noble. Or they can reach out to me at Kathy with a K and a Y, childadvocate at gmail.com. And they can get a personal copy of either of the books. And the children's book will then be paw signed by my featured dog, Abby, that's in the book. I have the stamper that stamps it. So they will get the paw signature if they reach out to me personally um, to get the book. And I ask everybody and I, I like beg people and Tim, I want to thank you for doing so, but to please do a review on Amazon of the book. And it helps me in ways where it makes the, the book look um, popular. <laughs> you know, I'm not Stephen King or whatever, but um, I need to make the book look like it's kind of popular. So the reviews help out tremendously. So thank you. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm so glad that we were able to meet and do this. And you're just a warrior at what you do. So well done on, on all of this. And meeting people like you is just like a, a delight over here. And I learned something new about Lou every day. Every time someone tells me something about Lou, now he's like a he's like a narrator. <laughs> he's done tons of books, dozens. He wrote the foreword. I do not have children, but I will get your book and I will read it. And I will leave a review and I encourage anyone else to do so. Thank you. Thank you all so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's an amazing gift, too. Even if you don't have kids for other parents, baby shower gift. It's Excellent. Everyone, everyone that I've recommended it to loves it. I have to share with you um, one particular mom to be had her baby shower and five people got the same book. So she handed it out to other people. So the book they're asking for books now, which is great for a child's library instead of cards. And so it, it is a good book for a baby shower. Thank you. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.